So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets, welcome back to another great episode of the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Tom Seiko. I am co-owner and a financial advisor with Florida Veterinary Advisors. We help veterinarians all across the United States, and our mission is to help simplify finances for the veterinary community. I've got a really exciting guest, a fun guest here with me. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. If you haven't, and this is your first time, you should get to know him more. Uh, Before I jump in, though, I want to make sure that if you are someone who is looking really seriously at your finances right now and you're wanting to figure out, hey, how do I get more from what I'm doing? Or if there's things that I don't know, how do I really be able to get ahead of that and readjust, reevaluate how I'm planning? We have a five-part video course where you can pretty much pick and choose your journey of how you want to go through it. It's no cost to you. And we've talked through about the five foundational steps you could take to find financial balance along the way. So uh, they're about 20 minutes a piece. If you want to go watch them, there actually is going to be a link to the description or a link to the actual videos in the description of this podcast. Uh, and feel free to go poke around and look at them. And uh, if there's anything that you want to get some more information on, there's also a lot of other great podcasts to help supplement those things. So without any further ado, though, uh, I want to say that this has probably been a long time in the making. Uh, I think I've been chasing, chasing him down for quite some time. And uh, he told me he, he wanted to be uh, Batman, Dark Vader. Uh, he wanted to be all these different things. I'm just totally kidding. Uh, but he's a, a father, a husband, a veterinarian, a disruptor. He's been within the veterinary community for, for a very long time. He's been doing a lot of great things. And I want to bring on the show today, Peter Weinstein. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, and it's psycho, right? Hmm. <laughs> Or Seco or, or, or Seco or, or, or you could, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love the fact that you're uh, addressing my colleagues as smarter vets. I, I think that we can all be smarter each and every day. I love it. Yeah, we, we're actually working to build, you know, we've, we've created the smarter vet community and that's what we're hopefully over time, we'll get more branding to it and more people will know about it. And you know, everyone should be a smarter vet. And I know on our website, we've actually defined what a smarter vet is. And it's definitely something I hope it creates a movement. That's what we're really trying to do. So, you know, for the people that don't know you, Peter, I think it'd be really great for them to hear a little bit about where you came from and where you are in your career today, just to give them like, you know, where did you start and how did you get to where you are at the moment? Grew up in a family where Education was extremely important, had a focus on becoming a veterinarian like many of my colleagues at a very young age. I ended up pursuing that starting at the age of 14 or 15, cleaning kennels and volunteering at a veterinary hospital. Did my undergraduate at Cornell, went on to veterinary school at the University of Illinois, thought I would become an equine orthopedic surgeon. That didn't work out. So I ended up becoming a small animal clinician. Um, Shortly after graduation, moved to Southern California, where I have lived for the last 35 years. Why? Because I don't want to be cold anymore. And um, I've done a variety of different things. Owned a hospital, sold it to a corporation, worked in industry for what was then veterinary pet insurance and is now nationwide. Have done some coaching, done some consulting, and have spent a great deal of time in organized veterinary medicine, locally, statewide, and nationally, helping advocate for the veterinary profession. So I like to look at myself as a veterinary cheerleader and 
what I really want to do is help bring the profession to a much better future, mainly because I have a daughter who's in veterinary school, and I want to make sure that the world is a better place for her when I leave it uh, than it was when I got it. Right. That's awesome. And it, I just, I want to take a step back here for a second, because you made mention to you want to be an equine orthopedic surgeon, and then you became a small animal. I mean, is, is your daughter going in the path of equine orthopedic or is she going small animal? No, she'll, she'll follow small animal, possibly general practice or shelter medicine. It, it was um, the late seventies, mid to late seventies. And there was a match race, horse race between a, a female mayor and a stallion at Belmont racetrack in you know, on Long Island where I was growing up and, and the, uh, the female broke down on the track. They had to euthanize her. I was listening to the race on, on the radio um, with my parents and it was like, I couldn't understand why they had to euthanize horses on the track. And then I went back to the hospital where I was working and I had this conversation with one of the veterinarians who did some equine work. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, that shouldn't happen. And at that point in time, I thought I would save all of the racehorses from breaking down, which obviously I have not. Um, but I also got to veterinary school and realized that I didn't have the horse sense. I had a lot of nonsense, but I didn't have the horse sense to become uh, an equine veterinarian. And so I went back to my roots and, and just really focused on small animal medicine. I got you. You must've been so full of it to try to be equine. So they're just like, can't do it. <laughs> you know, I didn't mind the hard work. There's a certain inbred nature that equine veterinarians develop over time from working with horses that I could never get the volume by just by doing the work that I was doing. So it, it, it made sense. And I became what I would consider a successful small animal veterinarian hospital owner. And, and that became my area of interest and expertise. That's awesome. Really cool. Well, I'm, I'm excited for your daughter and I hope I wish her a lot of success too along the way. And it, when you, when you look at your, your career, cause I think it's always great to see how we all go down different paths and we all have different, uh, you know, wins and challenges along the way. Are, are there certain steps that you've taken in your life that you look back on and you're like, Hey, that was really a, something I shouldn't have done. And it created a really good learning lesson for you. I could say that I should never have opened a veterinary hospital three years out of school. And it was a great learning lesson for me. Okay. Um, Tell tell me more. Well, as you know, Tom, um, in veterinary education, there is very little room for teaching how to be a successful business person. We are taught how to be successful doctors. I went and worked in my first job and I left and I went a second job and the second, third, and fourth jobs gave me some better understanding of the business side of things. When I, when I learned business in veterinary school, it was a, an elective, and it was taught like on a Friday afternoon in a dark lecture theater by, by videotape. So it really <laughs> wasn't, I think they were actually in black and white. Tom, you know what videotape is, don't you? Yeah, no, I, I was actually watching a little video. It was like a meme video the other day, and the guy walks into Best Buy with a, <laughs> with a VH, VHS player and says, hey, I need yeah. this fixed. And he's like, we can't fix that. <laughs> yes, you can bury it. Yeah. So anyhow, um, you know, I realized, I, I realized what I didn't know, but it didn't dissuade me. So about three years out of school, I opened my, my own hospital. There's a, a quote from Michael Gerber in the E-Myth Revisited that basically talks about technicians having an entrepreneurial seizure. Hmm. And that's essentially what I had. I was a good doctor, uh, did well with the staff, did well with the clients. And I said, you know, why am I making money for somebody else when I can go make money for myself? What you don't know is what you don't know. And right. so 
I uh, opened the hospital and made all sorts of mistakes. But while running the hospital, I went back to school, got my MBA, and that truly helped change me and convert me to a much better understanding of, of what a business is, how to run a business and not just be a veterinarian. Hmm. And so I was able to combine the two and, and ultimately make the practice more successful and concurrently in, enjoy it more because I could work on my business, not just in it. Right. And that's where a lot of people, they tend to have that struggle with their veterinary practices or even business in period. I, I know as being a certified exit planner myself, as I've uh, work and uh, help a lot of different practices and businesses that are out there. It seems that so many people are so stuck in the day-to-day operations that they don't notice like, Hey, why am I doing this? How do I plan for what I'm tr- like? What are my goals? Like, what am I trying to plan for? And uh, I'm really curious because of like the, the time frame of when you had jumped into veterinary medicine and opened a practice, it's not like everyone had iPhones and podcasts and iP- uh, iPads. And so it's like, what made you feel like, Hey, I needed to go get my MBA. Like, was that something someone encouraged you to do? Or did you just find it? And you're like, I should go do it. I think I was watching other people in other industries who were young professionals or young people involved and recognized that they were becoming more successful. It was opening up more doors by having more education. Hmm. I, I don't think you can ever stop learning and being educated and building a knowledge base and, and creating wisdom. Of course, wisdom comes with being old. But um, so I realized that I didn't understand business law, even though I was the son of an accountant, the grandson of an accountant, the, the nephew of an accountant, the, wife, the husband of my ex-wife was an accountant, my ex-father-in-law, my ex-brother-in-law. I had more accountants than Ernst and Young in mm. my family. I didn't understand accounting. Why aren't you an accountant then? <laughs> um, I, I worked for my dad one summer and it really was not a lot of fun just filing papers. So yeah. I didn't want to spend my life with paper cuts. I didn't mind the scratches and bites. But I realized that, that if I wanted to do a better job in my business, because I was getting burned out by trying to do things I didn't know and making mistakes, that I better get some basic understanding of how to operate a business, what the value of money was, how to deal with people, how to deal with law, how to build a team, what leadership was, and things that I realized I never got in veterinary school. And that um, you can learn by hanging out with others, but by, by learning from others, by, the, by book learning, and by applying, you learn even faster. Mm-hmm. I would agree with on that. It's so fascinating that you say that uh, I know that you've got, you know, way more wisdom when it comes to certain things that I'm sure that I have right now. Um, and I definitely want to give spotlight to that. And I know when, when, you know, I started even in my career, I'm just even thinking back is making, give me flashbacks on my own, my, my own self that I was like, man, how do you get so far ahead in certain things and learn more and really be able to not have to wait until something finally gets in front of you to decide, Hey, I'm going to go figure it out now. And I remember my first year when I got into the financial business, I read over a hundred books <laughs> on everything like, uh, uh, what is it? Professional development, nonfiction stuff. And then I went to start applying it like you even just referenced. So, you know, it's like taking that information and then applying it and then learning from other people who have been there as well. Like I found books to be, you know, a tremendous way to be able to say, Hey, these people have been there and they sort of digest a lot of it. And like, can you take these things and replicate them to a certain degree? And make it work for you as well in your own life. So that's powerful. That's incredibly powerful, Peter. 
if I was unblurred on my screen as we're talking, you'd see the library <laughs> of books that I have. And um, there are very few novels. Most of them are, are business-related books. Hmm. And it comes to, in vet school, we said it's see one, do one, teach one. I, I think in, in business, it's um, see it, experience it, and then teach it. And so I have enough comfort talking about the mistakes that I made. I really want to write a book, um, don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, <laughs> should. I should, is right. I but, mean, you, um, you, you did make some edits, if I remember, to uh, Emeth Revisited with uh, Mike, Michael Gerber. You did the one for Emeth Veterinarian, if I remember, right? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, Michael asked me to co-author the Emeth Veterinarian with him, available on Amazon. Um, and uh, uh, it was great because it talked about how I applied the learnings from his books and, and sitting in on his sessions and talking to his coaches to my practice. And eventually it allowed me to build the practice up, move it, expand it, sell it to a corporate consolidator, which then ultimately allowed me to do a variety of different things. That's awesome. I've actually, what's so crazy about, I love, I'm, I'm actually very, um, you know, very admirable at this, at this moment that you've had a chance to meet uh, Michael Gerber, because I love his book, Emeth, because it's uh, something that the technician manager and entrepreneurial mindset towards how you run a business. And I mean, we talk about that in our business at, at nauseum, and we also talk with it about practice owners at nauseum because <laughs> you can't do all three of them effectively. Like it's impossible to do them all at a high level. So, uh, but so when we think about you know your your finance your your financial life and the things you've been doing over the course of time, so you open your practice three years out of school. People are trying to do it today still, um, and I, I believe that banks and from what I'm hearing are just like they both you know, offer them all this money to do things, of course, depending on who they're going with. Uh, and over the course of time, like, as you've looked at your career, like, what are some decisions that you've made that you're like, yeah, that was a really good move that I had made. And I, you know, maybe you were a little anxious at the time that you made it. And you're like, I jumped at it and it turned out to be really successful for you. But, you know, you asked a question about what are some of the mistakes that I've made and, and some of the mistakes end up being successes. Mm -hmm. So retrospectively, I'm, probably sold earlier than I should have. Um, the hospital was successful, a corporate consolidator came at me with money, and I knew that I wanted to have a bigger impact on the profession. So I sold, stayed on for a number of years as a medical director, and then went on to do a variety of things in industry and organized veterinary medicine, et cetera. But if I had held on and we were able to continue to grow the practice as it was growing, uh, after 20 years, my return on investment, at least with the multipliers as they are now, I would have reaped a much better return on my investment. Mm -hmm. However, if I had done that, I probably would not be sitting here speaking to you because I would have been stuck in my little Dilbert-like cubicle known as a veterinary hospital <laughs> and would not have been able to write books and speak and hopefully be an influencer on uh, the next generation, the future generation of veterinarians. So my retrospectoscope says, hmm, maybe I should have stayed in practice. On one hand, on the other hand, without, by leaving practice, I was able to be a greater influencer in the profession. And, and I think there's a, a quote that something to the effect that most businesses fail, not by making the wrong step, but by failing to take the first step. So the day that I decided that it was gonna be over, there was a little anxiety, but now it was the 
key to opening up a lot of other doors that would not have been able to be opened if I were still in a practice setting. Right. Well, that, that's so fascinating. Just even think about what you're saying right now. You know, I was anxious about making that move. You'd made the move and, you know, was it a good or good, uh, good or a bad decision? I think, of course, people usually label things or as good or bad. And it's, it's incredible just to see that, like, you had a higher calling to what you were wanting to accomplish in your life. And, you know, I, I would even attribute that to myself too, because I want to do some pretty big things as well. And taking that initial step, that change, so many of us tend to be fearful of it. It's one of those things that like, we don't want to do. And I've noticed even the veterinary community, a lot of people tend to stay in like the status quo. They tend to continue to do what they're doing and they, they completely despise it. And I think it's very inspirational that you're sitting here saying like, Hey, yeah, I did this at the time. I was like, Oh my gosh, is this a good or a bad, bad choice that I'm doing? And it's really, you know, you've been able to find your, your, your direction over time. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you feel you're exactly where you should be today. Oh, I, I am very happy where I am today. Um, I made a change in November of last year that came with its own levels of anxiety too, but veterinarians can re readily recalibrate, which is what I've been doing four, five, six times since I graduated from veterinary school. And even before, if you think I wanted to be an equine surgeon, it's, it's just the willingness to get out of the rut that we tend to be in. Right. It, it is you know, unfortunate that many of my colleagues continue to do something that they're not happy with. And as a result, you know, like 50% of my colleagues would not recommend their family members, friends, clients go to veterinary school. Mm. On the other hand, um, as you heard, my daughter is going to veterinary school and I, part of my time is spent now teaching at a veterinary school. So I think that the willingness to change the the ability to adapt and actually having a vision or a direction, I think that's probably what allowed me to um, take some steps forward and kind of crawl out of the rut and, and see what other opportunities exist. And I, I, don't, I don't sit well with the status quo, mm -hmm. which is why I think I left practice. It's probably why I left my role after 14 years as executive director of the Southern California Veterinary Medical Association to go back into helping practices and helping veterinary students and, and helping the industry in, in general. But I would encourage any veterinarian who is listening to not be afraid of change, but to embrace it and just do so with a, a, with a direction in mind. Don't get in the car without programming your GPS or you can end up driving all over the place and going nowhere but just make sure you have a direction that you want to head. And, and my direction and my vision is, is on the wall next to me is really to make the profession better for the next generation. I love it. And so I want to camp out there for just a moment as well, because, you know, I talk about vision so much and I talk about having, you need to have direction where you want to go. Do you believe that your vision was instilled in you while you're like growing up? Was it something that while well, you started the career and you became a veterinarian all of a sudden something kind of snapped in you, like what made you all of a sudden say, yes, that's where I need to go. And you've stayed so focused on it over time. It's a great question. I think a lot of it had to do with the MBA. I, okay. I think in going to a classroom with 15 to 20 non-veterinarians, 
Nobody knew the industry. They were pet owners. And learning about how corporations became successful and, and the, the challenges that corporations dealt with but kept to their purpose and kept to their vision or maybe changed their vision depending upon what was going on around them. I think the MBA also taught me to read outside of the veterinary profession. And so instead of burying myself in books on veterinary practice management, I would read Michael Gerber. I would read Tom Peters. I would read Ken Blanchard. And I would read other business gurus, for lack of a better term, who talked about how business in general can be more successful. And one of the common threads in helping businesses become ultimately successful, and Michael talks about it in the E-Myth and E-Myth Revisited, is to have a direction, to have a vision, to have a goal, something to aim for every day, something that gets you up and out of bed. And so your vision and your mission, uh, I think those came from thinking outside of the veterinary box and looking at the more global world box and seeing, so what does it take to truly be a Richard Branson? What does it take to be a Lee Iacocca? What does it take to be a Steve Jobs? And, and so that's, I think, where that came from. That's amazing. I love it. And I, I remember growing, because like I, I was very focused growing up, but then I felt like my vision and things that I was trying to do is kind of bounce from one thing to another. And it seems like there's a certain times in your life that all of a sudden it's like, you're introduced to something or you took that step. And I mean, of course, people who are listening, they don't have to go out there and go get an MBA if you don't want to go get an MBA. However, it's just more of like, are you doing more other than just staying absorbed in veterinary medicine? And are you trying to learn beyond that? And that's, you know, one person, I, I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with Michael Hyatt at all? Yes. Yes. I, I, uh, I have a couple of Michael's books and I've listened to him a number of times. So. Awesome. Yeah. I've become, uh, I'm obsessed with his full focus planner. And I've been using one of those now for over three years. I get one every quarter. Uh, so then it gives me a chance to look at my annual goals. What am I doing for my quarterly goals? Are they achievement? Are they accomplishment goals? So like, it's like always front and center to me. <laughs> now I, I can never forget about it, which is great. So yeah. And, and Darren Hardy from Success Magazine, rather than reading Vet Economics, I would read Success or Inc or Entrepreneur or Harvard Business Review. You know, just there's just some amazing resources out there. I had such a focus and such a goal and such a hope just to get into veterinary school. That was my vision through high school, through undergrad. And then your goal in veterinary school is to graduate and get licensed. And then in some cases it stops. Right. It stops because you become a veterinarian and you become ingrained in doing veterinary medicine. But I think if you really want to be ultimately successful, you need to constantly have another vision. And so that vision may be to own a hospital. It may right. be to own 10 hospitals. It may be to uh, do this, do that. But I really do think that, that veterinarians at all stages need to have direction and goals that, that we should be aiming for because the human animal is a goal-seeking organism. And without goals we stagnate. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I'm sure everyone who has been listening to this episode today, they're going to pick up some really good nuggets. And I hope that they can really take this. And I know one thing, it's like information without actually applying it at all. Uh, really, it's just 
what, what's the point? So we need to, there's a, there's a word that's actually used. I can't ever remember the phrase, but, uh, but on a complete other note, and I appreciate you taking some time with me here today to talk through all this with me. Uh, if, if you were to like, let's say be stranded on an Island today and you had one, uh, one choice of a food that you could eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? It would be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And if I had to take one component of it, would it would be the peanut butter. Okay. Is it crunchy or, or are we talking creamy? Um, well, my wife says, <laughs> my wife says creamy. I say crunchy. And, and I don't recall why she said that, but uh, we have both in the house. I got so, you. That's awesome. Um, this, is, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking all this time with me today to talk. And I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of the listeners have gotten some great things out of it. I appreciate you. Peter, for taking this with me. Yeah, my, my pleasure, Tom. If I, if I could leave one message for colleagues, young and old, and, and I'm not being paid to sell Tom's services or any other financial planner services, but one of the smartest things my dad did for me was to introduce me to a financial planner when I was 18. And I've done that to both of my kids. Um, we can't be experts in everything, but if you surround yourself with a great team of experts, including a financial planner, you can eventually build and live the life that you'd like to have. And so um, making sure that you understand the value of money, compounding interest, and being financially literate can go a long way to helping you uh, accomplish your goals and dreams. So financial planning and, and an understanding of, and having some financial literacy can be huge from that standpoint. And that was not a paid political announcement. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, being a finance yeah, I can't, you know, sit here and say, yes, I encourage that so much because, you know, there's so many people that will just, they just blindly just kind of go throughout life. And then hopefully the accidental, uh, the decisions that they made over time create this plan. And hopefully this plan becomes what they want that plan to be. And most of the time people don't even know what they want. So uh, when you can have someone to help you really focus in and create those good habits and behaviors along the way, that's incredible. So uh, but anyway, well, so this, so this was really great. And I hope that everyone who's been listening today, I got some really good little nuggets to pull from this. Uh, Peter is an incredible guy. And if you ever want to see more about him, make sure to go check out all of his uh, things that he's doing out there. And he speaks for a lot of conferences and different places. Uh, so make sure to go take a look at him. If you want to take our course, or if you want to go take a look at our course, you can find the description in this podcast. Again, if you want to take that next step in your financial life. And for now, I'm Tom Seco. Wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seco are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seco's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Venture Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. Submission number 2023163478 expires October 2025.